You're listening to Tulsa Talks, a Tulsa People podcast, episode one. I'm your host, Anna Bennett. This episode of Tulsa Talks is brought to you by Guthrie Green, the urban park and event space in the heart of the Tulsa Arts District. On today's show, I sit down with Alex Kitchens from AHA Tulsa to talk about the role of the arts in public schools. Then city editor Morgan Phillips laces up her running shoes and catches up with some enthusiastic joggers. So let's talk Tulsa. Morgan Phillips. Tulsa Talks. I'll take Local it. Local music. This is Ann Brockman. Kind report. Anna Bennett. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Tulsa Talks. Stick around. So it's no big secret that the state of Oklahoma is pretty abysmal when it comes to the funding of public education. Uh, But this problem has gotten progressively worse and worse over the past decade or so. State general funding is nearly $180 million less than 10 years ago, even though K-12 enrollment has grown by over 50,000 students. Adjusted for inflation, that means that Oklahoma's state general funding of schools is down 28% per student compared to a decade ago. This is far and away the greatest cuts in the nation. Not exactly something that we in the great state of Oklahoma are proud of. These budget cuts are affecting all kinds of educators, all students across the board. But one area in particular that suffers when times are tight are the arts programs. Music, dance, visual arts, drama, media, all these things are the most likely to get cut first. And yet, numerous studies have shown that arts education has a far greater impact than the arts themselves on student outcomes. According to Oklahomans for the Arts, low-income students with high levels of arts involvement are 18% more likely to graduate from high school. Additionally, Early childhood education in the arts improves literacy because arts education improves vocabulary, communication, and memory in young children. Also, students who took four years of arts and music scored 92 points higher on their SATs than students who took half a year or less. Outside of school and into the workplace, creativity is consistently one of the top three personality traits most important to career success, according to U.S. employers. So when students in public schools, particularly those from low-income backgrounds who don't necessarily have opportunities for outside enrichment, are losing their in-school arts education, the consequences can be pretty far-reaching. Now, it's not all doom and gloom, though. There are several local organizations who are doing fantastic jobs of getting the arts back into schools. In my conversation today, I sit down with Alex Kitchens, who is the School and Community Programs Manager at AHA Tulsa. Well, thank you for coming in, Alex. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here. We spoke about a program that AHA has been implementing for more than 50 years, and that's the Artists in the Schools program. This program serves to provide students with high-quality experiences in the arts that inspire their creativity and confidence, further their academic learning, and foster their lifelong appreciation of and participation in the arts. So I got to chatting with Alex to talk a little bit about how these artists are chosen that are then brought into the schools to help educate these kids. Sure. So every January through March, there is a application process for teaching, presenting, or performing artists. 
And that application includes an, an interview, a resume, a teaching philosophy statement, descriptions of the offerings you want to bring into schools, and then also lesson plans for those offerings. And then we look at those and we decide, yes, we think this one would work really well. This one might need a little bit of editing before it can go into schools. Or this one, let's maybe uh, work with this artist about developing this and bring them on board next year. So that's reviewed by staff and also part of our board also um, has some say in looking at those programs and helping us decide what, what would work in a school and what wouldn't. And then those artists are contacted and uh, confirmed that they're going to be a part of Artists in the Schools. I work on creating a directory, which is basically a catalog of all the offerings that the teaching or presenting or performing artists have to go into schools. So, I, like, the, the, the educators in the schools can basically shop in the catalog. Exactly. Oh, okay. And that directory is designed by an art student, a graphic arts student at TU. So oh, we cool. have a cool partnership there with them. Uh, we send those out into schools right at the beginning of the school year, and there's the PDF version online, and then there's also the hard copy versions. And then teachers use that, just like you said, to shop for the art experiences they want to bring into their classrooms. Have you seen any trends recently with what teachers are particularly drawn to in this past year? I haven't seen any trends in what the teachers are drawn to, but who the teachers are drawn to. So a lot of the teachers have been using artists in the schools for a long time, mm-hmm. and so they have their favorite artists that they like to bring into their classroom. They okay. know that so-and-so always does a really awesome job, or so-and-so really bonds well with their students. And so I would say less what the teachers want and more who the teachers want is tends to be a trend does it ever get challenging trying to get educators to try out somebody new is that something you have to try to foster some you know I have not run into that yet but this year for the 2018-2019 school year we have about half of the artists in the directory will be brand new oh wow and so that might be a new challenge that Mm -hmm. I have to deal with this year Um, But teachers are usually pretty open, uh, willing to try new things. And the offerings are really awesome, like very unique. So I think they will want to try out those new new experiences. Like what are what are some of the artists offerings that are really standing out to you this year in the catalog? What are you really excited about? We have one for high school students, which elementary schools tend to use the program more than middle schools and junior high and high school students, although it's open to all grades. Well, elementary school kids are just so much easier to entertain. Yes, they are. (laughs) They are. And happier, I guess, too. They're just like, tend to be happier. They buy into it in a way that they haven't like become jaded about it yet. And it's a little bit easier to schedule, I think, at the elementary Mm -hmm. level. Once you get into those older grades and they have so many different classes, it gets a little bit trickier. Um, But we do have several artists this year who have really pinpointed something that older students would be interested in. So one of those is a photography, um, a little photography experience with Rachel Rector. And I'm probably going to butcher what she does, but she works with Polaroids and different uh, ways of, I think, something about she takes the 
film off the top of the Polaroid uh-huh. and then does her own kind of filter. So okay. that's what, so she's going to be bringing Polaroids into classrooms and then teaching the students how to do that and letting them create their own filter. Okay. So that one is really interesting to me. We also have. And that's so, it's it's like, I mean, you say filter and these kids are thinking Instagram and Snapchat. Right, right. So for them to get that hands-on experience right. of actually, no, this is like what those terms are referred to originally yeah and like a polaroid you know i grew up with polaroids Mm -hmm. but you know if you said polaroid kid would probably be like a what Um, (laughs) well these days they're they're back you know first you had the impossible project and then you've got polaroid originals now polaroids are just cool i think they're just like generally cool oh yeah um so i'm excited about that one and then we have another one i'm really excited about is um this is a new offering as well and it's a residency so instead of going into the classroom for one one time, mm-hmm. one day, it's over. It takes place over the course of a couple of weeks. So the artist will go in one or two days, you know, for five, six, seven weeks, mm-hmm. and the students read different scary stories, and then they get to write and create their own. And then they work with the teaching artist is an English teacher and an actor, Ooh. and so she's having them write their own scary stories, but then also acting them out and working on plot and character and tone of voice, and then they make a little pretend campfire and tell their scary stories around the campfire on the last day of class. Oh, that is so So, I, so to cute. me, that's super fun. I really love that, and I want to be a kid taking that class. <laughs> I know, right? That's amazing. Yeah, so those are two Those are two that I'm really ex- – I'm excited about all of them, but those two I, I tend to use as examples mm-hmm. because I'm really excited about that one. Cool, and so it sounds like there's a great diversity in the sorts yes. of – programs that are offered through um, the AHA Artists yes. in Schools. Yes. So you've got you've got some visual art with the photography, and then you've got sort of a combination writing and performance, with the campfire stories. I know that um, you guys have, uh, like, plays mm-hmm. and, like, live performances as well. What are some of the other yeah. uh, types? Of- so we have different categories. Uh-huh. So um, we have, you know, just fun artistic classes then we also had the residencies, which I mentioned are more long-term programs mm-hmm. where the same artist is working with the same group of students over several weeks. And we also have assemblies. And um, we also do arts-integrated lessons. So there's more of a focus in those sessions on integrating an art form directly with science or math mm-hmm. or English or social studies. And then this year we're also doing performances. So a school could book a live theater show or music concert to be presented in their auditorium or cafeteria at their school. Okay. Now this is all you know, super wonderful and awesome sauce, <laughs> but the the reason that it's needed is is rather unfortunate in my view. The, the kids may not have an opportunity to be exposed to these sorts of experiences, you know, without... Uh, an external force such as AHA coming in and providing these programs. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the arts being taken out of schools and how AHA is coming in and trying to fill that void? Sure, yeah, it is unfortunate. I guess it, it helps me have a job, but it is unfortunate <laughs> that it's a necessity. Um, so I think part of it, too, is that um, you know parents aren't taking their kids to arts experiences outside of school Mm -hmm. and there's many reasons for that and that's not to blame the parents but um, I think a lot of times 
parents aren't taking their kids to the museums or to see performances. And so then it becomes something that they need to get at school, this arts instruction. But then it's like you're saying, when they decide that the arts teacher isn't necessary or the music Mm -hmm. teacher isn't necessary. And so when they're limited on funds, those are the first things to be cut. And then AHA or other organizations have to step in and provide that programming. Um, Yeah, it's unfortunate, but... I think the reason why those that funding gets cut so often and why it's always the first thing to go is it's not deemed essential. Mm-hmm. So there's this view that reading and math and social studies and science are the necessary and the essential skills and content that students need to be getting from school. And so the arts and music are just accessories. They're just the fun things. Mm-hmm. And so those are the first things you know, that we let go of when we're a little short on cash. Um, but what, if, what do you think are some of the consequences of that, though? Yeah. So I, I think it's um, about, like, a mindset. So um, the skills that students learn through the arts, I think that's, that's the big consequence of cutting those things. So, um, you know, through the arts, students are learning how to focus on a project mm. Or they're learning how to be disciplined. You know, I have to practice this dance routine, you know, until I get it. So they're learning right. to be disciplined and motivated to work through a process of something. Um, you and know, then that's something they can apply. If they can work through a dance, yes. they can work through a math problem. Exactly. And then, you know, if they have to collaborate on an art project in an art classroom, then when they have to collaborate on the science project, they've been learning those skills in a mm-hmm. different way in the art classroom. And just that ability to imagine things things to generate lots of ideas that occur in the arts and that can be directly applied to other more academic subjects. So I think the skills that students learn through the arts, that's the big thing that gets lost when we take the arts out. Mm -hmm. There's also a ton of research out there that shows that students who have consistent and quality arts education have better academic achievement and are more engaged students. Mm -hmm. And so by taking those things away, you're ultimately, you know, taking away some student engagement, some student joy, some student participation. Um, places that have really good arts education programs see higher attendance numbers. Mm-hmm. So there's something about the arts that brings kind of joy and quality of life that by cutting those out, the students are losing out on those things. We'll be right back with the rest of this conversation after a quick word from our sponsors. Ah, Labor Day weekend. Is there any feeling better than knowing you don't have to go to work on Monday? Uh, How about two days of nonstop laughs with some of the funniest comedians anywhere? (laughs) That's right, the 5th Annual Blue Whale Comedy Festival returns to downtown Tulsa on Friday, August 31st, and Saturday, September 1st. Stand-up superstars Tega Nataro and Maria Bamford will anchor this feisty festival presented by Guthrie Green. Kane's Ballroom will host these headlining ladies, and you can find more national, regional, and local comedians bringing down the house at other downtown venues. And hey, if you go to the Blue Whale Comedy Festival, you might just become a little funnier yourself. No guarantees, but hey, it's worth a shot. To see the entire weekend lineup and to purchase your tickets in advance, which we highly suggest you do, go to bluewhalecomedyfestival.com. We'll see you there.
Welcome back to Tulsa Talks. This is Anna Bennett, and I am speaking with Alex Kitchens from AHA Tulsa. When we left off, we were talking about the role of arts education in schools, and I had to ask her, how do you quantify such an abstract thing as the impact of arts on students? I guess the big way that we evaluate how our program is doing is by teacher feedback. So Mm -hmm. when we send an artist out into the school and then we do a teacher survey, a little, it's a short, quick couple question survey evaluation um, based on our program outcomes that we have at AHA. And I go through all of those and put them into our system. And so I can see, you know, this teachers strongly agree that um, their students learned about another cultural perspective by participation in this program. Okay. Or And there's an open-ended section as well, and the teachers are like, oh, my, I haven't ever seen my students so engaged in something before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think right now that's the greatest way I can see those, ta- those tangible results mm-hmm. is by reading what the teachers have to say. Or, you know, when a teacher comes to me and says – This is a great story. So we were working with some teachers with a professional development, and the school teacher said that she had a student who had, um, you know, some severe trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really a challenge working with that student. But the teaching artist had come in with a music lesson and did vocal work and humming and vibration work with the students in her class and that particular child really uh, latched on to that and then the teacher continued to use those exercises after the teaching artist left to reach that student and to get him to calm down and to get him to um, you know you know, if he's really angry, just to kind of get him to like come back to a cooler place. Um, so, so teacher anecdotes, like, yeah, like and it's not just necessarily an academically an, an academic skill that you can apply. Some of these skills are really helping on a yeah on a psychological and totally. a, like a medical level. Yeah, that's what you know. I think too that whole social emotional. Mm -hmm. Uh, learning piece and the piece about mental health and those are big conversations we're having as a society right now and I think those things are really really enhanced by the arts and so that's another thing that's lost when we take them away you know a way for children to express themselves appropriately or a way for children to um, you know learn that it's okay to feel angry and let's let's make a dance about it or let's create a skit about it. Oh, I want to make an angry dance. Yeah, see? Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. Ugh. Yeah, so I think just those teacher stories, um, I would love to get more student feedback, you yeah, know, from yeah. I was going to ask, directly. Like, but, like, how do you – I'm sure it's so difficult to really measure the, right. re- the response of, of children. Of children, yeah. So I don't know if I need to, you know, ask teachers that or something. Since I'm new and I was just trying to get a feel for the program this past year, I want to be a little bit more involved this upcoming year of actually – being able to go into the classrooms and mm-hmm. participate so that, you know, I really know what's going on and I know how the teaching artists, what they're doing and how it's being received in the classrooms, not as a supervisor, but really as a participant and getting to participate in the different arts experiences. And so that could be something, too, that I'll say, oh, well, here's how the students responded, and they really liked this, that kind of thing. So I'm getting Mm -hmm. that student feedback as well as the teacher feedback. Now, I've known Alex for several years, primarily as a dancer in the Tulsa community, so I couldn't help but wonder how she was adjusting going from the creative performing aspect of the arts to the administrative side. Um, I always say the hardest part of my job is not 
getting to be the child, (laughs) seeing the performance or taking the painting class or being able to play the instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, so my background is in education and teaching, and so I do miss that part of it, being more at an administrator level, but I actually think that helps me be a better administrator because I've taught before. You right. know, I've taught dance before. I've taught uh, yoga to children before. So I've taught students, and I've worked in classrooms. And so I think having had that experience keeps me, practical when I get to that administrative level. So on those days when I'm like, if I have to make one more schedule or if I have to read one more application, (laughs) I can go back to, okay, but remember what the impact of this is in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so having that background helps me remember what we're working for when I'm doing the paperwork or when I'm trying to get that person to email me back. Right. Right, so you can keep your eye on. Yeah, keep your eye, yeah, yeah I guess like in quotes, keep your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. But yeah, keep keep focused on that the end goal is about the students experiencing arts in the classroom. When we come back, Alex sets me straight on a major misconception about the Artisan Schools program. But first, it's time for What the What? with Morgan Phillips. Hi, City Editor Morgan Phillips here with What the What? So lately I've been thinking that it's very odd that it's a hot Oklahoma summer and there are still so many people jogging in South Downtown during the lunch hour. It seems like I see, you know, between like 5 and 10 joggers on any given day and here it is in the 90s and so I was curious about why people are out jogging in the middle of the day. Um, So I came prepared one day for a noontime jog myself, and I was decked out in my um, t-shirt and jogging shorts and tennis shoes, and I'd pre-hydrated. I was ready to go catch up with some joggers and find out why they were um, doing this in the crazy hot part of the day. Um, So I am decked out in all of my jogging gear. Or at least the gear I would wear if I were a jogger, because I'm not a jogger. I don't run ever, if I can help it. So um, this is going to be an interesting experiment to see if, A, I can find somebody jogging today, and if, B, I can catch up to them and keep up with them for a little while. So I parked my car first at 15th and Baltimore, and I was waiting and watching for joggers. And of course, nobody came by. So I decided to move my car a little further south to Veterans Park, and that's when I spotted my first jogger, Troy Moore. Uh, Troy Moore, and I run with uh, the Runner's World Training Group on Peoria. Turns out, Troy is training for the Route 66 Half Marathon in November. Now, the day of my jogging experiment, it was July 16th, so it was 90 degrees, but it felt like 100 with the heat index, and it was 60% humidity, so obviously a super hot day, and in fact, we were in a heat advisory um, and went on to have that 106-degree day later in the week, so very hot week. So how do you prepare for being able to, like, acclimate your body to this type of temperature? Uh, lots of water right off the bat. So uh, try not to overdrink, though, because that can be just as bad. So uh, it's something you have to approach slowly. 
Later, I stopped by Runner's World and talked to Barbara and Kathy there about training tips if you, like Troy, have a fall race in your sights. So while running in the heat, they said that there are a few um, tips that they would have you remember. First of all, try to run in the early morning or the evening for obvious reasons. Uh, And then drink water in the hours leading up to your run, but don't forget to also hydrate with electrolytes, which is really key um, in the heat. So that means Gatorade, Powerade, that type of thing. Remember to slow your pace because heat is harder on your body, and so you probably won't be able to um, run like a, a quick mile like you would in the nice weather. They also said to make sure that you wear clothing, including socks that aren't cotton, so that you're going to be sweating a lot more and uh, cotton stays wet, whereas like wicking tech fabrics keep the um, moisture away from your body. And then lastly, be aware of signs of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. So if you're out running and you start getting chills, that's a very bad sign. It's a sign you need to slow down, pack it up, head home, and get inside and get cool. What's that? Tulsa People Magazine? Yep. Next, I caught up, barely, with another downtown runner, attorney Tracy Robinette. Um, I see a jogger, so I'm going to try to catch up to him. This is my time to shine. Almost there, but I have to wait for a stoplight. Sorry, I was trying to catch up with you. (laughs) You're fast. I'm slow now. (laughs) I can't imagine why you guys would be out here jogging when it's this hot and humid. Are you training for something? No, I just do it for exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I'm so impressed. So how often do you do this? Probably four out of the five work days and then once on the weekends. So most every day. Great. Um, and so you do it for exercise. Yes. Is it just a, a passion for you to run? Uh, yes. I mean, it makes me feel better when I don't run. I actually don't don't work as well in the afternoon, so it, it's actually a great break from um, from work to come out over lunch and get a good sweat in. That's great. So it's it's like uh, 90 degrees right now, heat index of 100, and I think the humidity is like 60%. Right. So how do you um, get your body attuned or acclimated to that type of a heat and humidity? Um, I actually just put on some sunscreen, put on my hat, and I just daydream while I'm running. I just try to think of everything I can except for the heat. You know, I think about work issues and all sorts of issues and just don't think about it. And I'd actually rather run in the heat than 30-degree weather. Really? Why is that? Um, I think my body's just more accustomed to running in the heat than the cold. I have a hard time breathing in the cold. But um, it doesn't bother me that much. It really doesn't. So while running likely won't be my new hobby, I decided to give it one more shot by signing up for a trail run. I will be participating on the Langdon Publishing team for the Test Trail Run at Turkey Mountain on August 11th. So it's a fundraiser for the Tristess Grief Center. Um, so even if I'm out of breath, at least it will be for a good cause. Welcome back. You're listening to Tulsa Talks. This is Anna Bennett. When we left off, I was chatting with Alex Kitchens about the Artist in Schools program through AHA Tulsa. Why don't we get back into that conversation? 
basically what I'm getting at is the schools don't have to pay. So actually the, the schools do Oh, pay. they do? Yes. Okay. So the way it works. So and this is, yes, and this is the school districts you know. do have to pay for the artists in schools program to come in. But it's something that the district sets aside money for. And most districts in the area do set aside money for this program every year so that the individual schools don't have to use their budgets to fund it know that a lot but that's a huge I think that's a huge um something to really commend Jinx Public Schools and Union and um, TPS on mm-hmm. is providing those arts being being engaged in providing those arts experiences for students by setting aside a budget for that okay now have you run into any trouble with uh districts cutting funding for uh, Paying for the artists in schools program. Yes, How do you we deal have with run. That? We have run into that, and um, you know we have to deal with that respectfully. We, right. You know, so just saying, okay, we totally get it. Um, we understand, and then making sure the next when the next school year rolls around, we reach back out to that district right. and say, what about now? Mm-hmm. You know, what about now? So not letting them drop off of our radar, but also being creative with finding ways to fund different programs and. Right. I'm a firm believer in the money is out there. You just have to know who to ask and how to ask and where to find it. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just put in a weird, you know, it's put in a weird place or it has, to, you know, its use is restricted to these particular things. So um, I think, okay. so you just have to be, yeah, you kind of have to find find fancy ways of working around the cuts. Yeah, and do you, um, I guess, either personally or professionally feel um, any sort of need or obligation to um, reach out to or provide um, programming for school districts that just flat out can't afford that. You know, yeah, like how, yeah. How how do you suggest either on you know within your organization or on a larger scale as a society for for the school districts that just flat out can't afford it? What are some ways that those kids can still get these enriching? Experiences. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Um, so I kind of mentioned the PTA. PTAs mm-hmm. usually have money for that. Um, also, grants. Grants are a really great way, and um, Title One money can also mm-hmm. be used as long as it has to further literacy and mathematics scores. Um, but a lot of schools have those Title One funds that, if we can find a connection between the arts experience and reading and math, mm-hmm. then they might possibly be able to use those funds for okay. programs. Um, I know some schools have, like, 21st Century Community Learning Center grants, and so people have used those grants before to pay for our programs. Mm-hmm. So it's all just, yeah, it's, I think it all comes down to creativity, which is why it's so important, you know, to have arts in the classroom is you right. just have to, like, be able to come up with new solutions and new ideas for finding the arts funding yeah whether those creative solutions for whether you made a mistake on your painting or right right exactly or you need a couple extra thousand dollars yeah exactly no I think that's they do those big business insider surveys or whatever and they asked employees or employers what is the skill that you most value in employees and they said creativity and I think it's precisely for those reasons Mm -hmm. you know if you're a big company and you needed to develop a new product that's going to get your business back up. Well, you need people who can think creatively about what a great product would be. Right. So you mentioned that you have an education background, and I know you have a movement background as well. And what are are some of your experiences in how is teaching children yoga, for instance, different from teaching it to adults? What... How is that oh, paradigm yeah. different? Man, it's hard. I think teaching adults is harder. I'm not sure everybody would say that. Um, 
children are so receptive and they are really excited um, about seeing somebody new and trying something new and that's you know that's a generalization not every child is going to be the exact same Um, and adults you know we tend to be a little bit more guarded and a little bit more set in our ways so trying something new was a little bit harder um and kids are like yeah we'll do that that's no big deal yeah totally fine yeah sure, we'll do I'll, this i'll throw myself on the floor yeah, i'll exactly. lick my foot yeah I'll, exactly yeah. um so yeah i just think that um it's a little bit easier kids are a little bit more open adults are a little bit more guarded mm-hmm. yeah and it's the same way for performing for kids oh totally well. yeah like, the kids will laugh and they'll clap and yeah. they'll cheer and the adults are like little golf clap. yeah little golf clap and the the, the adults will be like like getting upset that the kids are reacting it's like no like this is what we want yeah we want them to interact we want them to laugh when it's funny yeah because kids don't get that you're supposed to like you're seeing a play sit respectfully and don't make any noise yeah like when I was in um performing for for kids with Jessica Davenport's play last season uh last school year season whatever but like the kids would like be talking at me like at my character trying to give me advice (laughs) and I had to like you know just roll with whatever energy they were bringing you know they're like look behind you there's a thing behind you so I'd make a big show of like looking Looking behind behind you but not seeing what they were looking at I'm like what are you talking about yeah and the teachers you could tell were like oh is this getting out of hand it's like no like it's so wonderful to see right they don't have those those barriers yet. Yes. You no, know, you wouldn't yes. want to go in there and try to do like check off or something. Right. But right. like if it's intended for kids and it's supposed to be it's supposed to like bring that that joy. Yes. Yes. And I think all of our teaching and performing artists like you said, know that, you know, Mm -hmm. they know that they're doing this program for students and, you know, they know if they're working with kindergartners or with eighth graders, it's going to be a very different way of handling it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think all of our performers and presenters and teaching artists are so good about just rolling with the kids that are Mm -hmm. yelling at you, you know, so it's, it's enjoyable and that's one thing when I was doing the interviews with the teaching artists one of the things that they all of them mentioned was like it's just fun it's just Mm -hmm. enjoyable to see a kid get it or have an aha moment or have that realization of I can do it I could do this or man that was so cool like I could be a musician or Mm -hmm. I could be in a play someday yeah after after our performances we would ask the kids like what was your favorite part and how do you think we did this you know because we had a couple of little clever stagecraft things you know like how did the mirrors suddenly appear on the box and then we'd like pull off the panels and show them it's got two sides and there's velcro do you have velcro at home i bet you can find some and you could do this too and so getting to see them like see it click yeah and they were so fascinated with like how did you change clothes so quickly? <laughs> of course, as a dancer, when you're yeah, faced with you're that question, like, you're like, I don't, just don't, just yeah, don't. Just do it, <laughs> just. yeah. Well, and I think that's another really important part of the program that I have realized since starting the job. I didn't, I don't think I thought about this, I don't think I'd thought about this in the past until I was a part of the program, but how important it is for students to interact with local artists in their community and to learn that, oh, so-and-so performs with Tulsa Symphony, mm-hmm. or so-and-so is a part of Theater Tulsa, you know? So I don't think, 
I realized how important it was for students to have such an intimate uh, experience with local artists in their community. Do you think that makes it more accessible, more like real? Yeah, and I think it also, you know, for those students who really connect with it to be, oh, I could be a professional artist. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I could do this as a job. Like, I could stay in Tulsa and be a part of a band or Mm -hmm. I could stay in Tulsa and have art in a gallery. I think that's incredibly important for the students to see that. Because they may not see that modeled anywhere else in exactly. their lives. And then also, you know, that's really important for our community, too, mm-hmm. because we want to keep those students here. We want to keep the artist here. Yeah. And so... Yeah, New York that, is great, but have you thought about Tulsa, right? kid? Right. I mean, it's way cheaper, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that's something that if we can start cultivating that in the students really early on, like, oh, I like living in Tulsa, and I could be a professional artist here. Mm-hmm. I think that's really incredibly important for them to have that that experience with the artist so that they have that conception. I guess the school year is coming up pretty quick yes. in August. Uh, yes. when, does that, when does that get going? So in August, we'll send out the uh, Artists in the Schools directory, which is like that catalog of offerings. We'll send that out to them. And that goes to principals, and it goes to teachers, and we'll just get that out. And then right away, teachers can start booking. There's a scheduling form online, um, and they can start booking those experiences right away. And all of that information comes to me, and then I just work with the scheduling. It's pretty simple logistically. Even if it sounds complicated, it it works out really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, you know, it's not just for schools. We've had, you know, the YMCA has used the program before. Okay. Um, you know, we've had churches use it before, so it's really open to, it is called Artists in the Schools, but it's really open to anyone who wants to bring an artist into work with their students. Right. We can make that happen. Okay. And it sounds like there's several different, almost levels of commitment or, sure. or investment because you've got your artist in residence, which is like yes. a, over a period of time commitment, and then you've got like a one-off performance. Yes. Or a one-off class. Yes. So does and and I assume that those are different, um, you know, uh, price points, and so it sounds like it's pretty customizable to whatever. Yes, it's the incredibly the flexible, needs, right? Yes, it's incredibly flexible depending on you know the time frame the school has, or you you know if the teacher needs to adjust the lesson plan a little bit to cover this topic. It's very flexible, very customizable to what what the organization or school needs. Everything's really set for the next school year. Once I get those directories, I'll send them out. And then just getting the requests in and sending them out. Side note, if you are a public school teacher in the Tulsa area and are interested in booking one of these programs for your students, all you have to do is go to ahatulsa.org and find the link on the menu that says Learn. Underneath that, there will be a drop-down menu for the Artists in Schools program where you can find out more and also get started scheduling online. So thank you for coming in today, Alex, and talking with me about this program. Where can uh, Tulsans find out more? Sure. So on uh, online, our website is ahatulsa.org. It's brand new. It's a really nice website. And then on social media, we are at ahatulsa. So those are the best places to find out what we're doing and what's going on at the organization. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. Well, she looks at me, those eyes, I knew she had it all. Well, she looks at me, those eyes, I knew she had it all. Hey, thanks for listening.
listening to Tulsa Talks. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe. And hey, we are all about sharing with the great people of Tulsa, so tell a friend about this podcast. You can follow us at Tulsa People on Twitter and Instagram or visit our home on the web, TulsaPeople.com. Every episode, we like to play you out with a little bit of local music. So today's selection is She Had It All, performed by Weston Horn and The Hush. And to learn more about the band, visit westonhornandthehush.com. Tulsa Talks is a Langdon Publishing production, recorded right here in beautiful downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma.